It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I sit down each week with a different guest and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Joy Clarkson. She is the author of You Are a Tree and host of the popular podcast, Speaking with Joy. She's the books editor for Plow Quarterly and a research associate in theology and literature at King's College London. She completed her PhD in theology at the University of St. Andrews, where she researched how art can be a resource of hope and consolation. Joy loves daffodils, bird watching, and a brewed up cup of Yorkshire gold tea. Let me tell you, that the level of excitement that I had about this interview with Joy, I don't even know that I can possibly put it into words. And I talk about this a little bit at the beginning of the conversation, but basically for the last couple of years, I've had this fascination with trees. And maybe that's going to sound really strange and you're going to turn this podcast off, but I really want you to hear me out about the fascination of design of trees and how so much of it is representative of God's design for us. And when I tell you that Joy Marie Clarkson brought the heat with this episode, I am, oh man, I, there, there aren't words. So without further ado, we're going to get right into my conversation with Joy Marie Clarkson. You are going to love it. I can't wait for you to hear it. So sit back, relax, and stay tuned for this conversation. Joy, I have to confess, I have had this circled on my calendar ever well whenever it got scheduled I don't know I every day is kind of running together right now but I remember when I when your book and your uh you know you kind of first came across my desk I was like yes I want to have her on the show and um and the, my confession is because your concept your the your book is like if I could write I so my book that comes out in March is a memoir um if I could write a book like what you wrote, that's what I would want to write because I am obsessed with trees lately. And I got on a, I, I, this is like I said, this is my confession. And then we're going to get into your introduction. But I was like, I just have to tell you this. So I don't, it was probably a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. So I live on a farm and um, we have, you know, some of it's cleared, but we have also are surrounded by trees. There's trees everywhere. Mm. And so ever since we moved here and I go walking through the trees, I've just become, I, maybe it's in old age um, and by old age, you know, only thirties um, that I have, I, I just, I, I, I notice birds and I notice 
trees and I noticed things like that. And um, there behind our house, there's this creek. And um, there is a, a bunch of trees that, you know, over the years, especially when you live on uh, land where there's just trees everywhere, you know, storms happen and trees fall over. And there are a couple trees in particular, these massive trees that are connected to, um, you know, kind of their root system is right there at our Creek mm. and some storms knocked them over years and years and years ago. And what's so cool about them. And, um, I actually ended up doing, um, a sermon on this at, at my church, um, through Jeremiah seven, the chapter 17, it's like, you know, a tree planted by water, uh, who sends its roots out by the stream. And what's cool about these trees is, you know, they were knocked over in a storm, but enough of their root system was still connected to the creek and to the ground that these new trees have sprouted mm. out of the massive trunk. And um, I will, when this episode goes live, I'll put a picture of it on social media because it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's this massive, I mean, just enormous, you know, hundred year old tree that fell over. But now, I mean, it's three solid like branches that turned into new trees that shoot, you know, 75 feet up in the air. Um, and it's such a beautiful picture of, uh, you know, what, you know, so many people probably on the surface thought that tree was dead, mm. but no, its root system was still connected to the source of hmm. living water and now new trees have sprouted. And anyway, so that sent me down this whole rabbit hole of like tree metaphors in the Bible. And then I went and listened to that whole Bible project series on tr the trees anyway. And so then when I saw your book and this is the longest introduction ever, <laughs> you haven't even said anything, but this is how excited I am is I just went down this entire rabbit hole and I have a couple of friends who also I sent down the rabbit hole. And so I've just been so excited about this and I'm so excited that you haven't even introduced you. So Joy, welcome to the show and uh, thank you for being here and give us the Joy 101 because I'm so pumped and amped right now and it's nine o'clock in the morning when we're recording this. So here we are. Well, that's, I think that might be my favorite introduction yet um, because I also love trees and it's just Lattering. such a, it's such a beautiful, like, I think one of the things, and then I'll actually give the introduction to myself that I loved as love I it. started thinking about trees is... Um, they're just very resilient and they manage to persist and thrive in places Amen. that it doesn't seem like they can. And that to yes. me is a great reminder that we as human beings can persist and thrive when we're connected to that source of nourishment. And that, Amen. you know, throughout the book, one of the things I talk about is kind of the difference, like not describing humans as machines, because when a machine gets broken, it's kind of just broken at some level. Like you can replace some parts, but trees have this this resilient capacity, this, this mm -hmm. ability to revive. And, um, and if they fail one season, there is always another season. And so I love that about trees and I love that about human beings, um, especially when we're connected to the source. Um, exactly. You know, I think of like machines, you know, uh, the famous scene in office space mm -hmm. when the printer goes bad and all of the guys are just like, <laughs> we're done with this printer. And so they take baseball bats and stuff to it and destroy <laughs> it. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when a machine dies, but not a tree. And we can go on about this forever. This is what we're going to talk about. So yes. Joy, give us a new one. I love this so much. So my name is Joy Clarkson and Joy Marie on the on the book, um, which has ties to my other book. But I work at King's College London. I teach theology on their course for Christianity and the arts. 
And I've written You Are a Tree, which is coming out soon, and another book called Aggressively Happy. And I also host a podcast called Speaking with Joy. Um, and I confusingly live in Scotland, even though I, I teach in London. So that's kind of, I guess, a fun fact about me. Okay. So how can I just ask like the logistics of that? Like, do you, <laughs> do you I am interested in logistics, Joy. <laughs> yes. Well, so the logistics, there's like the reason, which is basically that I, I work in London, but London is just outrageously expensive. So it's actually cheaper for mm -hmm. me to live in Scotland and commute than to live there. Um, to live in London. Okay. So what's your commute situation? So then the other thing is that I should say that I work in, I work in London. Um, but I, when I teach, I teach once a week and I don't mm -hmm. teach all year. So a lot of the time I'm just doing research and various other things and I can do that from wherever. So when I travel down, it's, it's like a, it's a five hour train ride, which is a long train ride. I've been known to do the insane thing of going in in the morning and then coming back at night. Um, but I usually will go in and stay for like two days and then come back. Upstate with friends. Oh like yeah. So do you do this once a week? I did when I was teaching. Um, when I'm not teaching, it's like this term I'm not teaching. And so I go in like once every three weeks probably. Oh my goodness. That is um, kind of both uh, intense and magical. And I don't, this is, this is fabulous. It's so funny. Cause you know, as I sit here at my desk watching my goats and <laughs> geese outside my window, I just cannot fathom a Scottish train ride into London. Like it's just such a fancy, <laughs> it's such a fancy, uh, life. And I, but also so fun. So anyway, I love that. Let That's me assure so you, it's okay. not too fancy. Like I, 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 I <laughs> amused myself with the fact that last term. So, you know, I think we have 10 weeks. So I went down 10 times and only yeah. two of those did I not have either a canceled or delayed element of my travel. So oh, yeah, that, that would be not fun. That would be, I don't, yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't necessarily envy that, but you know, a train through the Scottish countryside. It is pretty idyllic. Sound, yeah. It's pretty like postcard-esque. Um, <laughs> Okay, so you have a podcast, you live in Scotland, but you teach in London, and you're as when this airs, your book will be out a week. So congratulations. Um, happy week after your book birthday. So, uh, but outside of, you know, what you do, mm. tell us about who, who you are. Like, tell us about your life. What do you love to do for fun? Who, who, who do you live with? You know, all, all the fun stuff. What do I like to do for fun? Well, I feel like the, the go-to thing I always say, which is kind of unoriginal, is I really like tea and various forms of caffeine, though I've had to get more creative because the older I get, the more sensitive I am to caffeine. So I now have kind of an elaborate <laughs> collection of non-caffeinated teas. Um, I deeply love music. Uh, that's something that Ooh. I think there were periods in my life where I thought about being a musician, but now I am just uh, an amateur in the true sense of the word, which is just that I, I love it. And one of the fun things about um, doing my book launch is that I have uh, asked a few musicians I really like to be on my podcast because I thought, why not? Musicians do metaphors, which is a lot about what the book is about. Yes. So I love music. I am very... I very much love my friends and my family and I'm trying to think. Oh, I also love baking. Um, I love baking actually more than I love eating what I bake, which is kind of weird, but nice for everybody else in my life. Um, um, love it. Cause I love, I love the, like baking is fun cause it's almost like a science and it's also kind of magic cause you, you add ingredients. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a metaphor in this, but you, you add ingredients mm -hmm. and, um, something, you know, like when you make bread, making bread is the coolest thing. You put everything in it's small and then it just grows. It's, it's a crazy. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. I, 
so I like actually making it and the satisfaction of like producing a nice thing, but I actually like savory things better than sweet, even though I usually cook sweet. So one of my favorite things in the world is to bake something and then just pester all of my friends, bringing them, bringing them, um, cinnamon rolls or whatever, whatever manifestation of my, um, my baking impulses happen to be produced that way. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, so it's funny. I, I love to cook and I always said my sister is a baker. In fact, she owns a bakery. And so I always kind of joked that I didn't get the baking gene, but then when you move to a farm and you start a homestead, just it's inevitable that you're gonna get into like sourdough and bacon (laughs) and so the last year or so I finally I feel like have cracked the sourdough code because for some reason it felt like this albatross for Mm. me for a very long time where I just like couldn't I had probably four or five starters that I killed and I couldn't (laughs) figure out how to get sourdough going and then a friend of mine gave me some of her starter and she was like we are going to tackle this together. You are going to figure it out. And now I'm, now I'm a maniac. I, all I do is, and I set out this goal (laughs) this year, Joy, where I'm going to buy no bread products from the store. I'm going to only make everything from scratch. Wow. And so last year I started perfecting like things that I buy a lot of. So like sandwich bread, tortillas, wow, things like that, buns, Um, and so that has been my goal this year. And so far we're only in February, but so far I have not purchased any bread products from the store. So I'm working on it anyway. I love it. Okay. Um, so clearly we should get into why, why you're here and, and your book, you are a tree. So let's start with the genesis of this book. So where did, you know, were you like me? (laughs) walking amongst trees one day and found a broken down tree. It was like, I should write a book about this. Or where did the genesis of, of this whole idea come from? Um, I'm just, I'm really curious to know. I think at least the genesis of the book, um, I, I, tell, I tell a story in the beginning. My genesis of the book is actually a little bit slightly sadder or a little more, a little more plaintive. Um, which was, I think, so I've always loved trees. Um, and actually this kind of goes with it. My family moved a lot when I was a kid and something that I kind of, I didn't consciously do this, but something that I, I did everywhere we went was I would pick a favorite tree and I would kind of imagine myself to have like a friendship with that tree. So that was just like, as a child, something that I did. And I think as an adult, um, I also to like, kind of get to know wherever I lived and I've lived in lots of different places. I would try to get to know what trees were in the area and what birds were in the trees. Cause that was kind of like a way to, to make myself at home in whatever place that I was. But that connects to the genesis of this book because I the book is it's about being a tree, but it's also about metaphors and how the kind of metaphors we use to describe our lives, the way we understand ourselves and how we live. And the story that starts the book was in a way kind of the story that started me thinking about this, which was a few years ago. Um, so I, I live in Scotland. I did my PhD in Scotland and briefly moved away and then I moved back. Um, but the book starts when I was moving away. And at that point, I had been kind of pretty much in school with a, a break in between of a couple of years, but consistently for almost 10 years. And all of those 10 years, I moved once a year. And so I'd kind of gotten quite used to that. Uh, but then the last two years of my PhD, I lived in one house for 27 months. And it was the longest I'd ever lived anywhere since I was 17. And even before then, I had actually... Um, 
my my family had moved a lot. So if you if you talk to my mom, she would say, "Oh, we moved six times, sixteen times, and six times internationally," uh, which always left people kind of slightly bemused. Try to do the math on that. But so I just had had this experience of moving a lot. So being able to stay in one place for twenty seven months was just a really um, something I didn't realize consciously during the the period of it, but it was really important to me. So after I finished my PhD, I got another job out of the country and I had been taking care of this little potted plant while I was finishing my PhD. And I was trying to decide what to do with the potted plant because, you know, I was moving and, um, but I'd kind of taken care of it, but it was also not the most attractive potted plant because it was kind of like getting too big for its pot. And so I thought, I don't know if it's really like a nice thing for me to give this to someone because it's like not a super nice plant. So I was sitting on the little stoop of my flat and my flat was in this like literally 600 year old building. And in the, the, there was like a little courtyard outside the building. Sorry, this is a very long and rambly story, but there were these, um, these pear trees that had supposedly been grafted from medieval pear trees. They're kind of like very special to the area. And I had this moment of just feeling, of looking at the little potted plant and looking at the pear trees and feeling kind of jealous of the pear trees. They had been there for so long. They had what they needed. They were fruitful. They belonged with the other trees all around them. And I looked at the potted plant and I thought, I'm a potted plant. I'm I'm this little kind of scraggly thing that has been growing, but it's it's really too big for the container that it's in. And I have these needs for things like bigger space to put down my roots and to be able to be nourished by by sources in the, in the ground and by other trees, you know, because one of the other things about trees is that they nourish each other. And I thought, I'm I, if I don't plant soon, I'm just going to get scragglier and scragglier, like this little pot of plant I have. But then I had this moment of kind of like terror because I don't know if you've ever tried to plant a pot of plant, but sometimes they just don't take because their roots aren't ready for it. And I had this moment of like, what if what if I just can't be planted? What if I'm not able to be rooted? And having that metaphor kind of drop into my mind gave me words for this kind of discomfort and pain I'd been experiencing. But it also gave me a way to think about what I needed and what kind of thing it was to flourish as a human being. And so I then kind of subsequently started looking into the metaphor of of trees as as people in scripture. And it's everywhere. You know, you mentioned the Jeremiah passage, which is referencing Psalm 1. But we also see that in the Gospels when Jesus talks about us, you know, staying in the vine and bearing fruit and, you know, that good things bear good fruit. And it's this, it's this, this long metaphor. And so I, I sat with that metaphor and thought about it and researched it. And I researched the kind of some of the actual science of trees and the way that they communicate with each other and grow. And it just became for me a very, um, to use a metaphor, describe a metaphor, a, a fruitful metaphor for thinking about some of the kind of pains and sicknesses of the modern world and what we need as human beings to flourish and how we can become rooted, um, even when that's not an easy thing to do in our world. And that led me to think also more generally about kind of metaphors and how they shape our lives. But that was, that's the origin story. I love all of that. It's so interesting too, just again, the timing of all of this. And and so I, I don't, are you a word of the year person or like a new year's resolution person? Um, okay. I'm going to tell you a weird thing. I'm not a word of the year person. I, but I always keep a journal and I always name the journals. And so in a way that is my way of having a word of the year. 
Okay. I love that. Um, so I'm not a new year's resolution person, but I, I am a word of the year person. And, um, my word of the year two years ago was rooted. Hmm. And then my word of the year last year was growth. And then hmm. my word of the year this year is flourish. And so like, hmm. I, that's, it's again, it kind of all stemmed from like that whole walking in the woods and seeing that tree and, and just being like, I want to be like that tree and hmm. I want to be rooted. And I want to have like hmm. really strong roots. And the other thing too, and, um, this is, um, another thing I know that you talk about in your book is the story of, um, cherry trees too. And what's interesting is I, I didn't know this, um, until again, <laughs> moving to a farm and planting fruit trees. And, um, you know, we did all this research and, uh, cherry trees in particular, you know, I'm sure you know this, but you know, they, they have to be planted when you plant a cherry tree, it has to be like at the dead of winter mm. and cherry trees need, um, and I can't remember off the top of my head, um, the exact amount of time, but cherry trees need a certain amount of time in cold months. Mm. They just need to be really cold for a while. And, um, that's why you, you don't see cherry trees, you know, in Florida, like mm. it's just, it's, you can't grow a cherry tree in Florida. Um, just like you can't grow an orange tree in North Carolina. Like mm. it's like you, trees have to have, you know, right, uh, you know, environment temperatures mm. and all those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, but you know, so the cherry trees have to have this, you know, really, really, really cold, um, extended period of time. You have to plant them in the dead of winter because the cherry tree needs to be able to almost feel like it's dying. Hmm. And in order to, for it to feel like it's dying, then what happens is then those roots have to strengthen hmm. and go deeper into the ground. But if it doesn't have enough cold months, or if you plant it in like the spring or the summer, and it doesn't have that shock to its system, mm. roots end up being really shallow mm. and then you don't get as much good fruit. And so it might, it might it's not that it, it, it will die if you plant it in the spring or the summer, but if you want the best fruit, if you want the most flavorful cherries, mm. if you want an abundant harvest rather than just a bunch of leaves, you have to actually plant it so that the tree feels like it's dying mm -hmm. and strengthens that root system. And then it's the sugars and there's like, you know, the whole science and I'm, I'm giving basic, very basic information here, but yeah, I just, I, I think that's, it's part of that whole, like, I just love when you see those metaphors in nature and you realize like God was so intentional mm -hmm. in his creation, um, to, to represent all those things. Um, uh, or to, to show us, you know, visually, mm. um, his creation and his intention for things and how he created us to be. And, um, and I think, and I think you talk about this too, is, you know, trees are the second most referenced thing in the Bible after the kingdom of heaven, mm. or, or actually I think after humans, yeah. it might be humans and then trees and then the kingdom of heaven. But it's like, so it's like, okay, so God's clearly telling us here. Um, and so you use a kind of framework throughout your book where you talk about seven metaphors directly mm. from scripture. Um, obviously love the number seven perfection completion. Um, so, but tell us about these seven metaphors and like, why was this intentional or was this something as you began to research kind of got uncovered? Yeah. So I, love everything you said. And I think one of the kind of ideas behind the book is that, like you said, God has put these 
these images and this meaning in the world that we can see to give us language for often the thing, our experiences and our changes in ourselves that we can't always see. And that scripture itself, you know, it's not just a rule book. It doesn't just tell us a bunch of things to do. It doesn't give us a bunch of abstract philosophical truths about God. It often, it draws on our experiences of the natural world and our experiences of light and height and depth Mm -hmm. to help us understand ourselves and our relationship with God. So the metaphors in the book are people are trees. Wisdom is light. I loved doing that one. And that's all all Mm -hmm. through scripture. And I could say more about any of these. Safety is a castle. Love is a disease. Mm. That's an interesting one. Creation is birth. Sadness is heavy. And life is a journey. And mm. all of these um, were just really special for me to get to kind of meditate on and, and think about where we find them in scripture. And then also see kind of the, the echoes and the ripples of the way that these images have been engaged in literature and in art. But in all of them, I kind of found myself paying more attention to the normal things I experience in life, like light coming up in the morning or Mm -hmm. the experience of of weightiness or heaviness. And I found myself paying attention to those things and seeing how just kind of burdened they are with meaning and how much our, our just experiences of the ordinary tangible, visible experiences of life can can reveal to us about ourselves and God and the world. Um, and as the number seven, it is the number of perfection. I, I will confess it wasn't too deep in that I think what it came down to was <laughs> I, I did have other metaphors I could have done, but I kind of uh, whittled it down to the ones that felt like they had the most meat to write about. Um, and I also mm-hmm. realized that each one of them, I was like, oh, I'll do like little short meditations. There'll be like a thousand words and I'll do 20 of them. And then I did, um, people are trees and wisdom is light. And I was like, I will not be doing 20 because it's, I, it's, there's so much there to write about with each one of these metaphors that I actually need more words. So that, that was the other reason that it was seven. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with joy to let you know that as of today, one less than a month from today, my first book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry, How Death, Debt, and Comedy Led to a Life of Faith, Farming, and Forgetting What I Came Into This Room For, hits the store bookshelves. And oh my goodness, I am so excited. I could not be more proud of this work. And I'm just telling you that the next month is going to be pretty wild. And I would just love it if right now, if you have not yet, would you just pause this podcast and go pre-order it? I know you're probably like, but then I got to wait and like, Let me just tell you how much pre-ordering it works. And this is kind of my like begging you, pleading that if you listen to this podcast, if this podcast has impacted you in any way, shape or form over the years, now is the time to go pre-order the book. It is a huge help to me and it just really is the best way that you can possibly show support for me and the book and the podcast and all the things. It just really would mean the world. So head on over to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever you buy books online and search If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry by Molly Stillman. Hit that pre-order button and it'll be on your doorstep the day it comes out. All right. Now back to my conversation with Joy Marie Clarkson. Okay. There are a couple of those that I want to unpack. Um, but the, and I don't even, we don't even need to unpack this one, but I will not give names because to protect <laughs> privacy, but, but, uh, I, I would be curious. Um, so the creation is birth hmm. one. Um, so this, uh, I had the 
privilege and honor uh, this fall, I was asked by a friend to photograph her home birth. Wow. Um, and that was like always a bucket list item. I realize that's really weird. I, I, I am not a professional photographer, but I have done photography for like 20 years. And so like for, I will shoot fam friends and family and I will, um, you know, seniors, things like that. But my friend, I I've always wanted to, to photograph a home birth and be present for it. And, uh, so my friend asked me to photograph her home birth. And I was of course like, so humbled and honored because like, I mean, it's the most vulnerable thing in the world mm. and also most magical thing. And, uh, you know, we're all adults TMI. Um, but after the birth, which is the most beautiful, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Just, uh, I was like, I kept telling her, I was like, you are an absolute rock star, like just the most bad a woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it was just such a cool experience in general too to be able to see like, it's like her just instinct kicked in. It was like her body was like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to do. And mm -hmm. it was just, I am woman, hear me roar. And it was amazing. After it was all said and done, you know, you, she had to, uh, after, you know, the baby comes out and then what comes after that is the placenta. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen a placenta because when I had C-sections, so like I didn't get to like take a look at my placenta. And I realized that for some people who were like, where are you going with this? <laughs> Um, trust me, trust the process, everyone. <laughs> um, although if you listen to this podcast for a long time, you know, you know how to trust my process. Um, so the placenta comes out and, you know, she, she gave birth in the water and the placenta was out and they put it in like a bowl because they wanted to keep the placenta attached to the baby for a little while. They wanted to d delay the, the cord cutting. And I was like, I want to see the placenta. So I come over and I go to photograph it. And as I was looking at it, I was like, oh my gosh, the placenta has a tree on it. Hmm. If you've never, if you feel like listening to this and you're listening to this and you're just curious, Google image what a placenta looks like and tell me that is not a root system hmm. all over the placenta. And I just, it immediately, I got sent to like, the imagery in the garden of Eden mm. and like at creation, what is there with Adam and Eve is a tree. Mm. And I'm like, it looks like the tree of life on a placenta. Mm. And I just, I was, I was just like, it's just not an accident. Mm. It's just not an accident. And I'm like, think about this thing that has been giving life and growing this, this child for nine months, mm. this miracle is like this thing that looks like a freaking tree. I just mm -hmm. thought it was so cool. And, um, anyway, so I don't know if that is even like related to like what you really <laughs> expound on in your book under creation is life or creation is birth. But that's like the whole thing that I, I remember going to that. And I was like, that is exactly what I pictured. I was like, it looks like the tree of life and this just can't be an accident. And it's just those little things that mm. make me say, how can you deny that God exists? Like, how do you look at that and think like, nah, there ain't no God. Like I just, it's not an accident anyway. So that's, that's my quick little placenta story that no one knew I was going to tell on this episode. <laughs> well, I will confess that I did not write about placenta in the, in the book, but, um, I think you did, but I will say, um, th and this is kind of more riffing on things from the book, but, um, even something I was talking about somebody on my podcast was even the way that a human body, like if you look at the veins in a human body, it totally looks like yes. a tree. And totally. there was this idea, Art. and here, here I'll get a little nerdy in my my scholar, I'll put on my scholar cap, but um, kind of it. prior to like 
modernity, there was this idea that human beings were little microcosms. So you think about a, a cosm mm-hmm. as like a cosmos, right? So they, there was this idea that human beings were this tiny version of the whole world. So if there were trees in the world, you would see trees and human beings. And if there were, mm-hmm. um, if there were rocks in the world, you would see rocks in our bones. If there were, you know, rivers, you would see it in our blood, like this kind of sense that everything that's out there in the world, God put in the human person because we're there to watch out for it. So we're these little microcosms of this macrocosm that is the world, that there's this relationship between the creation and then, and us who are in the image of the creator. And, and that for that reason, the idea was that, well, if you looked at a human being, you would understand something about creation. And if you looked at creation, you would understand something about human beings and God. Like there was this kind of integrity and this meaning written into it. And if you combine that with ideas too of so much of scripture talks about the world being spoken into existence, right? That there's this, mm-hmm. that, that God is the yeah. one, it's created through the power of his mouth. And so there's a sense that the whole world is kind of this poetic, meaningful, disclosive place that we can see and that the connections that you see between a tree and a placenta and a human being aren't accidental because we are created to belong in this world and to have a relationship to it and to find meaning in it. And that the metaphors we reach for aren't just useful because, oh, well, it might be nice to talk about people as trees, but because God has really invested the world with this meaning. And the more we pay attention to it, the more we have that kind of response that you were saying of yes. of, of wonder and of worship. And I will say one other funny thing, um, and I put this in the introduction, but so there's this thing called a bestiary, which was when these medieval monks would like try to create an encyclopedia of beasts. And they're really interesting, they're illustrated, and the general outline is they'll be like, well, this is a panther, this is where it lives, this is what it does. And like a lot of the information is like, clearly they had never actually seen a panther because it'll be like, you know, um, (laughs) the panther is multicolored and has sweet breath that all the animals are drawn to. And you're like, I don't don't think that's what panthers are, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, But then almost every entry closes with, but the true panther is our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to kind of, which sounds funny, you have to read it, but the yeah. their kind of, their worldview was that everywhere you looked in creation, there was some, it drew its its nature from God. And so there was something you could see that was true about God and every creature and everything mm-hmm. in creation. And the reason I tell that story is that when I was writing the book and I was talking about each one of these metaphors, I kept on finding myself being like, and the true light that is wisdom is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is this sense that if you kind of, <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, it feels like if you if you dig deep enough into any of these metaphors in scripture, there's this sense that God is kind of under them. So it sound it felt like there used to be this story where it's like, you know, when you're in Sunday school and the teacher says, Oh, you know, what's brown and fuzzy and like hides acorns and trees? And the kid says, Well, right. well it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm gonna go with Jesus because the answer is usually Jesus. But that's what I felt like yeah. when I was writing the book was just how many of these metaphors in scripture or just in the world that we find, if you dig down beneath them, you find this, this, that God is there kind of infusing it with meaning and, and, um, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay, girl, you have permission to get nerdy on here any day (laughs) because I love getting nerdy. And, uh, I think being nerdy, um, yes, yes, I completely agree. And I think that when we open our eyes, when we allow ourselves to 
and I don't, maybe this thought hasn't even really occurred to me till as I'm about to say it. So forgive me if it's not polished, uh, cause I'm kind of word vomiting. it. You know, I, I love how Jesus talks about, you know, like the kingdom of heaven, you know, belongs to such as these, like some talk about like, unless you were like a little child, mm-hmm. um, you know, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think part of that, you know, so many people ask, there's like always debate on like, well, what does he mean by that? Like, what does he mean by that? Like, do we, um, hmm. and the reality is, is I think part of it is like, I look at my kids and, um, just that childlike wonder about life that they have. And, every little thing is magical. And especially, especially when they were little, I mean, my kids would always come back in the house from playing outside with their, you know, quote unquote treasures. (laughs) And it was always just like broken leaves and rocks and acorns. And, you know, just, I would pull clothes out of the dryer and it would just be like so much, you know, uh, paraphernalia from nature. But it was like all of it was so exciting. And every time we would go on a walk around the neighborhood, I mean, it was, especially when my kids were, you know, toddlers, I mean, it was like the longest walk possible because they had to stop and they had to look at every roly poly and every worm. <laughs> and um, and I, I learned so much about slowing down and patience from them at that time. Um, but I think, too, it, it all speaks to this having just wonder and and uh awe of the universe and, um, and of creation and of God and, and kids too, like they ask questions, you know, when they're confused about something or they want to know about something, but then at the end of the day, like you can give them an answer or you can say, I don't know, we can Mm -hmm. figure it out together. And they'll just be like, okay. Like they just, (laughs) you know, whereas like once you get to be an adult and you're like, but why? Mm -hmm. But why? So like right now in my chronological Bible reading, like where I am right now, I'm in Exodus, you know, and and actually today's passage was the Passover and like the age old question for people that read that story, they, you know, it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there's that question of like, well, what, what, or, or, and, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened just as God had said. Um, and so it's like, wait, why did God heart in Pharaoh's heart? Like, could Pharaoh have chosen to have his heart softened? Like, you know, or did God from the beginning, like plan for this to happen? And it's just like that question that the reality is, is we don't know the answer this side of heaven. And, um, God, we're not supposed to, and there's supposed to be an element of mystery and awe and wonder. And, um, and that's what, you know, when you're a kid that that's how it is. And, and I think I say all of that to say, like, with what you're talking about, uh, you know, as you kind of began to uncover these metaphors. And as you look at things like creation and birth and, um, everything in creation, just being a direct representative of God, like, of course, we're, we're not supposed to understand it all. We're mm. not supposed to be, you know, have it figured out, but the more that we open our eyes to that curiosity and that mm. childlike wonder and that childlike awe, we just see God in it. But when we, when we harden ourselves mm. to like, um, seeing it all as machines, seeing mm. ourselves as machines, seeing the world as how can we um, use mm. it for mm-hmm. our benefit? That is when I think we begin to push God out of it. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, it's, all of this is just rec- occurring to me. So it's <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, I, I want to say something too um, about about metaphors. So in all of the chapters, I they're all titled like wisdom wisdom is light, but there's always a parenthetical statement that says wisdom is not light. And the reason I did that, and this connects to what you were saying, is mm-hmm. that, you know, a part of metaphors is that you're using one thing to talk about another thing. 
And usually the reason yeah. you do that is because the thing you're trying to describe, you can't quite put into the words. It's mysterious. And so you use you use a metaphor. You talk about light or about trees because it helps you grasp something in the thing itself. But I think that the thing that's great about metaphors is that we also we also know that I am not actually a tree. I am a human being. And so by using that metaphor, I, I illuminate a whole bunch of things about what it is to be a human being. But I know precisely because I'm using the metaphor that I haven't grasped everything about being a human being, that there's still mystery in the thing I'm describing that I might need another metaphor or another image because these things that we're describing are mysterious and the right. kind of knowledge that we can have about them is is kind of partial. And, and so we... We're thankful for it. And I think it's interesting that, that scripture does that, right? Scripture doesn't go, this yeah. is what a human being is, X, Y, Z. It's made of these many. It says we're, that we're trees, that we're you know, made in the image of God. It gives us all of these kinds of open-ended ways of revealing the truth of something, not because we can't grasp truth, but because the truth of these mysteries, of wisdom, yeah. of human beings is more than can be captured in words. And so in a funny way, I think that metaphors can help us maintain that kind of childlike openness and curiosity because when we use them we know we're not capturing the entirety of what a human being is or what wisdom is or what safety is and right because i think that's the habit of adults we kind of want to have an answer write it down and that's the deal done but and move on and move on um and yeah. but i think metaphors kind of keep us open to the many facets of things and, and the mystery of, of of being alive yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's how God's word is. I mean, you can read a passage uh, a thousand times and find something new and interesting in it. And um, it just uncover the the depths of and the beauty and richness of, of scripture. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there are so many of your metaphors uh, that I would love to unpack. Uh, just this is for everybody. You're, you're also at home, probably curious. So you should just go buy Joy's book. Um, <laughs> But I, the one that in particular, as you said it, I was like, okay, we need to talk about this. And that is love is a disease. Um, I just help me out here. Talk, talk to me about this. Love is a disease. Cause that is like immediately you just kind of go, huh? a disease is not good. So what, wh why that? So part of that with, with that chapter, I used that title, but I wanted to kind of look at the different metaphors that we use for love in general. And a lot of the metaphors that we use for love just kind of like, this is, set this aside from scripture, although there are also examples in scripture. But a lot of the metaphors right. we use for love, especially for romantic love, either describe it as a disease, a madness, or something, or like a battle, something unfortunate that happens to you. So think about, mm. you, you say someone's lovesick, you say he's crazy for her. Um, crazy in love. You're crazy in love. In love. And, um, or even, I was thinking about this, the this is a very like, you know, pop song. I think it was Katy Perry who had the song Catch Feelings, right? The idea that you like cat, you can catch, like you're catching a cold feelings for someone. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and scripture has this language too, where it talks about being heartsick or things like that. There's this sense of love being something that kind of happens to you. We also use lots of language of, of battle, right? So to fight for somebody, we talk about being wounded. Like there's all of these, these kind of things that are in the kind of orbit of, of language we use for love. And in the chapter, I talk about how that has a long history, especially the love as a sickness or love as a madness, just in language in general, but like in something like Plato, because, you know, Plato has this whole dialogue where, where he's like, is it better as a philosopher to fall in love or not? And ultimately, he, he's like, well, 
Ultimately, he goes with yes, but he goes for a long time being like, because, you know, when you fall in love, even that language, fall in love, right? It's something you kind of stumble into. Right. Yeah. Or head over heels. I'm like, that would be, I'm curious as to how that works. (laughs) Yes. And that one, connecting that with like safety is a castle, you have a lot of like, if you're an underdog or you're down and out, anything that's down tends to be kind of like when you're out of control. So falling in love or head over heels, it's all that kind of sense of being out of control, having something happen to you that you can't control. And, you know, Plato's mm-hmm. like, you know, it makes you forget your appointments and it makes you betray all your friends and everybody gets annoyed with you. Like, you know, why is it worth it? And um, so I, I looked at that and I think the reason we use those metaphors is that a lot of times love can feel like something that we can't control, something that happens to right. us, something that takes over. Sometimes it does make us literally feel we have our, our tummies hurt or whatever, things like that. And we also have all seen or experienced love that did kind of manifest like an illness, something that actually did make people a little bit crazy and make them make choices they wouldn't usually make. So there's lots of reasons why that metaphor, I think, is so pervasive. But, and this is what I talked about in in the chapter, that metaphor also makes love something that happens to us and something we can't make choices about, right? So if I want to have a healthy marriage or good relationship with my kids. If love is something that you fall into or catch or go crazy with, then it can kind of come and go. So then I looked at mm-hmm. scripture and said, well, what are other metaphors that are used? And two of the main metaphors I found in scripture were love as a home. So when we mm-hmm. talk about belonging with someone or about Christ um, kind of asking us if we can come in and we let him in, and even just the language where it talks about, you know, if you if you accept the father, then he'll come and he'll make his home with you. And I kind of put mm-hmm. that into conversation with um, Wendell Berry's book, Hannah Coulter, where they talk mm-hmm. about the, you know, the the room of belonging that in their marriage, they have all these times they go out and they struggle and they wrestle. But then in their marriage, they have this this home that they've made together, both literally, but also emotionally where they can belong, where they accept each other. And that that metaphor of home means that it's a place of safety, right? Home is somewhere we, where we can let people in, but it's also somewhere that we we keep unhealthy things out. It's a place that we can decorate and adjust according to our personalities and our histories and our lives. And it's something we can do together. And it's somewhere where you are invited to stay, but free to go, right? There's this sense that love can be that. And so I, in that chapter, I kind of thought about how that to me is a much more productive metaphor for thinking about how we love, how we fall in love and how we stay in love. And then mm-hmm. I also looked at love as a mirror, that love is something that reveals ourself to us. We can't really know ourselves except for in relationship. So that's, yes, that is, that's that provocatively titled chapter. I love that. And I it wasn't until you began unpacking it that I was like, oh my gosh, you are right. That is a hundred percent. Um, and I don't think I'd, I'd, I, it had never occurred to me to stop and think about that. (laughs) Yeah. This thing that is supposed to be beautiful and, um, it does have so much almost angry imagery. Well, I think the thing is as beautiful as love is, I think a lot of people experience love as kind of a dangerous, um, Mm. a dangerous, scary thing. And, you know, and I think that's partially just because it is scary to love another human being and be vulnerable to that. But also because yeah. we've all had mixed experiences of relationships in our own life. And, um, you know, Plato calls it the divine madness uh, that 
it is crazy. It does feel dangerous, but it's also the thing that kind of draws us out of ourselves and towards God. Yeah. Okay. Clearly, I could do 17 episodes with you about this. <laughs> uh, so that would be, um, this would be a very long conversation if I asked every question that I wanted to ask. Um, but as we kind of wind down our time, um, the last question I wanted to ask you is just as you began to really dig deep into this um, and to get more, um, just really began to, you know, uncover the layers, so mm -hmm. to speak. Was there something in particular that you learned as, you know, as far as, you know, the humans are trees metaphor that was in particularly like meaningful to you um, mm -hmm. or interesting to you that you just, you know, maybe going into it, you weren't, uh, you weren't sure, or, or you, it had never occurred to mm. you. Um, was there something in particular that you learned about that whole, like, we are trees and not machines mm. that, that ministered to you specifically? Yes, uh, there was. I mean, I learned lots of things writing it that I, I consistently had moments of, oh my gosh, I never noticed that. Um, but I think for me personally, something that was helpful was, realizing how consistent the metaphor of trees are, but also how consistent the metaphor of yeah. travel is. And that those are kind mm. of, they're kind of at odds. Do you know what I mean? So if you think about all through the Psalms, it talks about the way of the righteous. And and even in Psalm 1, where I get kind of the basis for the book, where it talks about being a tree planted by streams of living water that bears fruit in season, that the first half of that Psalm is about traveling. It's about blessed is the man who does not, you know, stand and sit and with the, the mockers is talking about traveling on a road. And the reason that was meaningful for me was, you know, I start off describing kind of being able to put my finger on that experience of rootlessness and, and the need that I really did have. And I think subsequently since that time that I have, there are ways in which I have rooted my life more than I was rooted then right. in ways that have really deeply nourished me and made me feel much more at home in my life. So that, that, that was helpful, you know, having the language of the tree was helpful for going, okay, well, I think I'm feeling undernourished. I think I need a place to root. I think I need other trees to be nourishing me. Sitting with that mm -hmm. metaphor was really helpful. But then recognizing that there is also this metaphor of travel that is also pretty fundamental to what it is to be a human being is to travel. And, you know, Hebrews talks about kind of um, the whole kind of hall of faith, but the way that it does that is by talking about them longing for a country that they're not in yet. And- right. I think realizing that both of these metaphors are there in scripture, that they're kind of contradictory, but that that's because being a human is kind of contradictory. To be in the world and to flourish, we do need to have roots. We do need to be yeah. like a tree and stay in one place. But even the best tree human life is still a temporary life. And we still have this sense of a longing for home that isn't here. And so I think realizing that those metaphors kind of go together and that if I always find in myself both a desire for roots and a desire for, you know, a home country that I haven't yet discovered, that that's not actually a flaw. It's it's the inherent tension of what it is to be a human being is to need roots and to long for a country that we haven't found yet. So that was, mm -hmm. I know that may sound grand, but for me personally, wrestling with kind of the things I was wrestling with at that stage in my life about how to make decisions and and how to live well realizing that kind of tension that I felt was also in scripture and thinking about it was really, was really helpful for me and having some sense of direction and resolution to that restlessness I described in the first chapter. Oh, so good. 
Oh, and I just feel like that's the bow on this particular conversation, especially since, you know, the way that we opened. Um, oh my gosh, Joy, I have to have you back on um, because this was so fun and so rich. Thank you for being here. And uh, please tell the listeners um, where they can, you know, about your book and, and I'll plug all the things where they, <laughs> can they connect with you and all of that. So the book is You Are a Tree and Other Metaphors to Nourish Life, Thought, and Prayer. And you can find it wherever books are sold, especially when this episode comes out. It will already be out in the world. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, and <laughs> I think all Twitter, it's fine. Um, and I, I kind of consolidate everything on a Substack, which is just like a website slash newsletter. So you can find me at Joy Clarkson on Substack, but also if you just type in joyclarkson.com, um, it will redirect you there. And that's where you can, you can find me. Awesome. And your magical train riding life in Scotland <laughs> and, uh, London. Um, Joy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the wisdom, uh, and light that you shared and, <laughs> um, and for allowing me to geek out over, uh, tree metaphors. Um, really, really appreciate it. And, uh, you are uh, a gift and a joy. Thank you. And you are a tree. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I love you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Man, I hope you loved this conversation with Joy Marie Clarkson. I'm telling you, she is just so brilliant. I mean, just the fact that, you know, she like lives and works in London and Scotland and just lives this incredible life riding trains and talking about theology. Uh, man, she's just brilliant. She's funny. I love her. I loved this conversation. And I hope that you go check out her work. I would love to know what you loved about this conversation. Let us know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod on the socials. And would you take a moment to head on over and subscribe and leave a review and all of those things? It really does help us to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. Thank you for your support. And thank you for listening. And of course, as always, thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye.